hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Mining Matters, a mine safety podcast presented by Fisher Phillips. I'm Chris Peterson and with me as always is Arthur Wolfson, my partner in Pittsburgh. How are you today, Arthur? Doing pretty well, Chris, although it's late April and it was snowing today in Pittsburgh. So I think the world's playing tricks on us, but hopefully we can come up with some answers today. That's what oh, we do. Yeah, yeah. I'm based out of Denver. We had our share of snow and winter weather last week. So hopefully we've turned the corner on that. But... All right. So today on this episode, we're joined by a very special guest to discuss mine safety. So where has it been? Where are we now? And where are we going? And Diane Watson, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, guys. I have uh, some beautiful weather weather here in California. Oh, yeah. Well, we're all jealous. That's all like that's paradise out there in California. Yeah. And many of you know Diane, right? She's had many different roles within MSHA's where she's worked with MSHA for a number of years as an inspector, investigator, staff assistant, uh, and perhaps most importantly, in my own mind anyway, uh, she was big time involved in mine rescue, something near and dear to many of our hearts. And she's been and continues to be, I think, a true safety champion uh, in her professional life. She currently has a, a consulting business that she consults operators in mine safety. Diane, do you want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself, your background and what you've got going on? Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. And so my, uh, my mining background started with Homestake Mining Company back uh, in, the, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. The McLaughlin mine is kind of where I started. And uh, I was very, very much outspoken when it came to safety, you know, the, the crew meetings and whatnot. And um, it drew the attention of, uh, of a lot of managers. And I was uh, I put in for a position for a safety technician job, got it, and uh, Part of my job was to walk around with MSHA inspectors and this one inspector in particular, a gal named uh, Mary Lou George, showed up uh, to do a walk and talk, which is something that MSHA used to do when they had uh, excessive fatalities in the industry. And uh, she had such a passion for mine safety that I, I thought, wow, I really want to I really want to do that. And she uh, told me how to apply. I applied and in uh, I think it was 1997. I started with MSHA as an inspector out of the Vacaville office. And worked my way up, took a lot of training, whatever training I could get my hands on, I took it, uh, accident investigations, special investigations, family liaison, and some other things, um, and ended up uh, being the uh, special investigator. And then I was awarded the supervisory special investigator position in 2006, October, um, after I returned from China with the National Mine Rescue Team. So that was a lot of fun, by the way. Yeah, so that's basically my my career in a nutshell, I retired in 2019. And um, I still felt passionate about mine safety and also, you know, mine rescue. And so I decided to start a, a small little consulting business to help mining companies navigate the challenges that can come up with compliance and regulations. So that's what I'm still doing now. And um, I love it. It's great. Yeah, great to be out there helping people. That is so great. You know, I feel like, you know, many people don't realize how much you've invested in your own life to mine safety. You know, I know through personal experience and, and, and talking with other special investigators, it can be a lot of lonely nights in hotels in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, out on assignment and, and, and investigating cases. So it definitely takes a commitment. But um, 
So you mentioned Mind Rescue, and again, you know, I kind of bring this up again. Are you able to stay involved in Mind Rescue at all post M Show, or is that was that just you know an official capacity? I was in an official capacity. I was the chief judge for first aid for all the national, for the national contest and then all the regional contests out West. Okay. But the guys that are still involved in mine rescue and in, in the large companies, you know, still want me to participate. So yeah. I'm doing what I can there, helping out where I can. A couple of the, the schools, the mining schools out there, universities have asked for my help. So. Oh, that's great. You know, I help wherever I can. If, of course, now, you know, it's not, uh, it's not paid for by, uh, by my work anymore. Right. So mm-hmm. I have to consider, you know, the cost and whether or not I could afford to, especially travel long distances to help out. But, you know, I'm always available to talk on the phone and help develop things if they need it. So, yeah, that's, yeah. Great. that's great stuff. Mm-hmm. So Diane, I, you know, your, your career with MSHA, you spanned you know, 20 plus years. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of lessons you took from that. Uh, and, you know, sometimes we have mine operators that, you know, we, we, we respect MSHA, but sometimes we're in an adversarial position and, and, and that's probably not where we want to be from a safety standpoint, but it tends to happen. But what are some of the lessons you can offer mine operators from your time at MSHA? What are some of the things that maybe mine operators don't realize about MSHA that um, you think they should and could potentially help them if they understood some of your experiences? You know, that's a great question. And it's something that I like to to talk to individual groups about, right? Um, They don't realize uh, the life of an MSHA inspector in particular. So, you know, what's going on in their psyche when they approach a mine. So, you know, a mine inspector is assigned to a region or a travel area. They have to go out to that area. They usually spend, you know, four nights a week there, right? Uh, They leave their family at home. The per diem that they get is really not enough to stay in luxury hotels. So they stay in the medium hotels to low hotels. Uh, Again, the per diem is not high enough to buy three meals a day. So they will go to the local grocery store and pick up stuff to make sandwiches. They'll pack their lunch in the morning and they'll head out to a mine and they'll knock on the door to a place where they know people don't want to see them, right? They know there's a lot of anxiety that's built up as you approach that that gate, right? And Mm -hmm. so how you're greeted uh, makes a huge difference in how Mm -hmm. that inspection is going to go. Right. So I think that's that's one thing mine operators should understand that that inspector has just as much anxiety as you have when he arrives on site. Right. So the more I the more you can even if you even if you don't believe it, the more you can say openly, you know, hey, we're glad to see you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's going to mm-hmm. make that inspector's day a little bit easier. And it's it's also going to start establishing relationship with that inspector or with the mm-hmm. with they're going to go back with with the notes and those notes are going to be positive. You know, in their notes, they're going to have you know a good relationship with the mine operator. Right. They were greeted mm-hmm. well. Uh, the, of course, if you imagine the opposite. Right. If somebody shows up on site and the and the mine operator says, you know, damn it, you know, we mm-hmm. we don't need you here today or, mm-hmm. you know, or you know, we're not happy to see you. This is awful. Mm-hmm. Now I have to shut everything down. This is, you know, you're costing me money. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Things, you know, it can make things pretty rough mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for all individuals involved. So I think that would be my advice or my knowledge that I've gained. 
that I like to share with people, you know, understand the, the mindset of that inspector, you know, they're just as nervous or just as upset as you are when they come on site, just as anxious. You know. That's, that's a great insight, Diane, and, and important to recognize, you know, obviously there's professional roles that both the, the inspector and the operator play, um, but the inspector, um, you know, is really fulfilling their duty. They have a uh, legal requirement to, to, to inspect the mine and, um, and, and that, but that's an interesting insight. Has, has the relationship maybe between operators and MSHA changed since you first started um, in your career for better, for worse? Have, have there been any changes or is, or are we sort of still fighting the same battles? You know, I, I think it kind of ebbs and flows, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it really does depend on people, right? The people in charge at MSHA, the people in charge regionally, you know, locally, um, the reception you get, the professionalism, you know, and, you know, I just told you how the anxiety level of an inspector when he shows up on a mine site, but, you know, the opposite is also true where, you know, that inspector needs to maintain professionalism. Your tax dollars have paid for that professionalism training time and time again for that inspector and that inspector should be held accountable if they're not treating people with courtesy and respect, right? So I would encourage people uh, to definitely report that, right? If that ever happens. And I think that for the most part, it doesn't, it's not often, it's not common, right? But it does happen. So uh, that should definitely be reported. If you think of any industry, you can't hold an employee accountable if you don't know what they're doing, you know? Right. So, um, and a lot of these inspectors are out there on their own, you know, and the only thing that comes back for the supervisor to see is their notes. And, you know, when they treat somebody with disrespect, that's typically not in their notes. <laughs> so it's a good idea, you know, get your uh, associations involved or whatever. If you have someone that's, uh, that's really treating any government official, it doesn't matter who it is, you know, you should always be treated with respect. So having said all that, I think, you know, it, it really, does come down to people and who is it, who are in those leadership positions and some of those decisions they make as to how the relationship is going to be with the industry. You know, um, I've always taken an approach of trying to build relationships. I think it's really important to build relationships. And I honestly don't think that Chris would even think about having me on right now if it wasn't for those relationships that I've built point. in the past. Right. That's a good point. Yeah, You know, I, I, I bring that up to operators all the time, right, where, you know, maybe some government agencies, regulatory authorities, you know, you may not see the same inspectors over and over again, or, you know, be dealing with the same individuals if you elevate an issue to headquarters, you know, wherever that might be. But yeah, I mean, in my experience, Diane, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a lot of it is uh, relationship based and building trust right on both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've seen that pay time and again, more dividends, you know, than any sort of, you know, legal challenge or, uh, posturing, right. Whatever that might be. So I, I think that is a huge, huge point there. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about where we're at today, Diane, in terms of, so Right, you retired from MSHA in 2019, I guess right before the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Right, we've all been sort of in uh, survival mode since then. You know, based on my own personal observations, I think I have seen 
an M show, you know, I don't really even know how to describe it, right? Maybe a little less engaged in, in uh, compliance efforts and safety, uh, safety efforts. I don't, is that been your experience, your observations, or what have you seen currently? Yeah, I, you know, I've seen a lot of empathy, you know, uh, mm. understanding that companies are struggling, you know, through the mm. pandemic. So there has been a lot of empathy on, on the part of MSHA. You know, they're, they're struggling too, you know, they're dealing with the same thing, you know, in the agency and how to handle that and how to keep people working remotely. And um, so I, I think I've seen a lot of empathy there. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, the training, they understood that getting people together in groups was not a good idea. So they gave a little leeway on the, on the annual refresher training. Um, but I think that's going to start ramping back up again, right? Um, yeah, this yeah, change, no. mm -hmm. you know, typically when you have a change in administration, you know, it, it, it kind of goes from one extreme to the other, you know, that usually when Republicans are in office, the, it's more uh, compliance assistance based. And when Democrats are in the office, it's more enforcement based, right? Yeah. Um, everything just kind of, you know, not a whole lot changed, you know, during that transition. And I think it was right. because of the pandemic. But now with the elevated uh, level of uh, fatalities that we're seeing out there, mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think you're going to see some change um, with respect to enforcement. So I, I know that they're doing a lot of hiring, um, and that's going to come with a lot of training and a lot of headaches for mine operators having brand new mine inspectors out there. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I know that's one of the issues um, you know, that we've been asked about you know, in terms of, you know, what happens when an MSHA inspector gets on site and doesn't know what they're looking at, right? Doesn't know the processes and procedures that a mine has in place. Um, are, do you, you know, any of the companies that you're working with as a consultant, do you advise them on, you know, approaches like that and how to deal with new inspectors? Um, just have a lot of patience, you know? <laughs> um, it really, you know, I always tell, you know, people that, you know, put your, your most mellow person up front, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> make sure that that, that inspector is walking around with someone who's knowledgeable, but also has a very even keeled temper, you know, because it can be very upsetting sometimes, you know, to get ticketed for something that you, you think it's great. And then, you know, it's, uh, it doesn't comply. So, um, yeah. So I, I've been asking companies that I, that are my clients to be proactive, you know, be proactive, um, continuously review their policies, making sure their policies are in place, making sure their employees understand what their policies are, staying, staying up on their training, maybe doing a, additional training. Now that we're kind of coming back out of this pandemic and we're able to get together in groups again, so I'm kind of uh, talking about that, getting people together, you know. Yeah, do you have any good pointers for operators, Diane, in terms of, you know, engaging your workforce? Um, you know, I know we've had just a number of challenges, whether it's, you know, lack of training in large groups, uh, working remotely, you know, just getting, just getting your workforce to really kind of pay attention to safety. Um, do you, are you advising your, 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 your operator clients on, on any of that stuff? Yes. Essentially, what I'm doing is uh, trying to work up some scenarios, right? Uh, basically scenarios that they can work on uh, tabletop exercises, right? Let's, let's all get together and work on this tabletop exercise. How do we fix this guard, you know, 
on this conveyor to keep it from, you know, spreading material all the time. You know, let's all get together and figure it out. Or I've been using the examples of uh, some of the fatalities that have occurred. You know, what, what can we do better? What can we do different? And getting all of these guys working together, trying to figure out how to solve that problem. So, you know, now that we can get together in groups, we can do that. We can, hey, let's, let's have a tailgate. Let's sit down. How can we do this, right? How can we fix this? So it's, it's interesting, Diane, you mentioned, you know, there's going to be new MSHA inspectors coming online. And I think we're seeing, you know, the hiring situation uh, with our clients, right? Um, so we, we may be seeing that on both sides, right? New employees on the, on the, on the operator side and also um, new, new MSHA inspectors coming online. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that that speaks to the, the, the training piece that you, that you're talking about, but also, you know, there's going to be a lot of institutional knowledge that, that, that we may not have the benefit of, but in, in we may need to sort of reteach everybody who's in, in involved in, in the mind safety world, uh, you know, really starting from the beginning, I guess. Yeah. You know, <laughs> They say that uh, the training is monotonous, right? You get, you listen to the same stuff all the time, always being told to wear your seatbelt, always being told this and that, but actually, you know, that's the benefit of a, a great safety program, right? Is to go over that stuff over and over again until it's embedded in your head, right? Some of the, the small minds out there don't have that benefit. You know, the, the larger minds that you guys represent um, that, produce most of the of the gold silver and you know sand and gravel that we have out there you know they have the benefit of great safety programs but the smaller mines do not and i think we all need to focus on those right if we can you know come together and figure out a way to help those little guys out bring them into our trainings you know if we know about them stuff like that to, to help help those small mines and i think uh, one of the things I was thinking about was this new uh, powered haulage. I'm sure you guys have probably uh, talked about that. I'm, I'm assuming uh, the powered haulage initiative. Um, you know, most companies are doing it already. It's monotonous uh, for most companies. Most companies are, are doing all of the things that are essentially in that program. Uh, but there are small mines, tiny little mines out there that are forgotten, you know, all over the place that, uh, that don't have that benefit. So... Yeah. Unfortunately, it's unfortunately, you know, they, you know, MSHA paints, you know, with one brush, everybody. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we've talked, uh, I, I think we've hit a lot of points here, Diane, um, but, um, you know, and I, I agree with you. I think we have sort of reached a point with MSHA that we've seen it's sort of been a, a steady state for a little while, even with the change of administration. But now we have a new assistant secretary confirmed. We have the increase in fatalities that you noted. That's, you know, that stuff does tend to drive changes. I think we'd all agree on. Um, and we talked, touched on enforcement a little bit. What are, I mean, if, if you were to kind of look into a crystal ball, I guess, and kind of just look down the road, what, what are some specifics you, and I won't hold you to it, but what are some specifics you think may come up um, in the next 6, 12, 18 months from MSHA that mine operators should, should be on the lookout for? Well, I'm hoping that most uh, of these new inspectors do everything that's right, right? They do the right thing. But I think you're probably going to see some elevated enforcement 
maybe some more uh, special investigations like you were talking about. You haven't seen a lot of 110s um, in the last several years. Um, I think you may see a ramp up on, on that. I really wish the agency would do a stand down. I mean, a legitimate uh, walk and talk like they used to do, because I think those were very effective. Instead of, uh, instead of you know, making a sticker and saying there's a program and handing them out to people as the inspector does his inspection, you know, it would be nice to, uh, for them to get back to those walk and talks, to show up on the site. You know, they're not there looking for violations. They just want to talk to people. They just want to you know, address people. And um, those were incredibly effective in the years that they did that. So I'd like to see them get back to that, but I, I don't know if, uh, if they you know, if they have the resources right now, but hopefully in the future, they'll have the resources to do that. It could certainly be something that trade associations could advocate for. I know they, uh, many of the trade associations, if not all, um, you know, do their best to maintain the open communication with MSHA. And I think that's a point that um, could certainly be raised. I think it is raised, but I think it could be reinforced. Um, how about in, engaging um, the hourly workforce? You know, we so much of the liability in MSHA is, or almost all of it, is placed on the mine operator. I think most of us know that, other than smoking in an underground coal mine. There's strict liability against the mine operator. But in addition to these walk and talks, I guess that would be kind of the starting point, right? But anything else MSHA can do to really try to engage hourly rank and file miners in the mine safety process? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of ways, um, you know, to get them involved, you know, have them take ownership, you know, get some teams together, find out what those individuals are really, you know, what they, what they really, uh, what drives them, you know, mm -hmm. um, to get them involved in that. I think we're not spending enough time with people, you know, we're, we're letting them go do their job, get out there, get it done. Um, and uh, as managers and supervisors on mine sites, I don't think we're spending enough time because we're so overwhelmed. We're shorthanded. We're, you know, working foremen and working managers ourselves. Um, we're not taking the time to really engage people. So I think if we could stop and, um, and take a hard look at that, you know, and you mentioned, you know, the only thing that we can hold them accountable is for, you know, smoking in an underground mine, you know, that also applies to surface mines as well, mm -hmm. that smoking standard. Okay. Um, I've seen that, I've seen that before. Uh, the, the frustrations I think that you hear from the mine operators are, you know, why are we getting the ticket? Why, why is, why is this guy not getting the ticket, you know? Um, and they'll tell their people, actually, they lie to their folks sometimes and say, you know, if you're caught without wearing your seatbelt, I'm just going to give you a ticket. No. <laughs> Not true, but, but um, <laughs> I think essentially, you know, there's so many mines out there where the management that, that deals with frontline miners or the rank and file miners, they're, they're also foremen, you know, working foremen and working supervisors themselves. They have a huge responsibility to deal with. And sometimes they don't have the time, you know, really. Um, some of these uh, some of these large mining companies, you know, the, the barracks of the world, the Newmonts of the world, um, Cal Portland, so there's all kinds of different mining companies that have amazing safety programs and ways to to um, interact with employees, you know, those frontline people. And I, I, I would love it if they could share that, you know, with the industry, yeah. with the associations so that these mm -hmm. smaller mines you know, can use some of that some of those techniques, you know, to engage people. Wow. That's a great point. 
Well, maybe that's a topic for a future podcast I think so. that we can explore, you know, because I, so. I think what's really resonating with me, Diane, and I, and I really appreciate, you know, you joining us today. Um, just time and again, right. You've reminded me that, you know, mining is a people based business, right. At the end of the day, um, you know, not to sound cheesy, but right. The miner is the most precious resource. Um, mm -hmm. And I really kind of feel like that's resonated through a lot of your comments uh, and even MSHA inspectors are people too, right? Who, who would have thought that? Um, <laughs> right. Shocking. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think that's, I think that's been a great, great yeah. discussion. Yeah. No, it sounds like um, prepare for a new world, but return to back to basics at the same time, I think is, is sort of the takeaway I've had from this discussion. I think it's been really enlightening for me. Um, and I hope our listeners have en have enjoyed it. I know I have. Um, Chris, you got any uh, any final thoughts for any uh, for Diane or for our audience before we uh, sort of wrap this one up? Yeah, you know, I mean, again, based on uh, on personal experience, I think Diane's just a, a great resource, a fabulous resource. We don't want to overwork her, uh, <laughs> and you know, and let her enjoy her retirement uh, such as it is. But yeah, if anybody has any you know, issues come up where they think they could need some help. Um, I think Diana is a wonderful resource and would be happy to, you know, either make that connection ourselves. But, you know, Diane, do you have some contact information that uh, you could share for folks? Yeah, I do. So my little company is called Silver Auto Compliance Solutions, and you can reach me at info at Silver Auto Compliance Solutions. And I also have a phone number, 707-350-2934. Well, there we go. You're just, you're about to blow up again. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so anyway, uh, Diane, we'll give you the last word. Any last uh, kind of parting thoughts for our listeners on the world of mind safety and, and, and any last messages for them? Um, I say, hey, let's uh, let's get back to work. Let's get back together. Um, let's learn from each other. Uh, that's the only way we're going to make it, uh, you know, a safe workplace. Yeah. Sounds good. Couldn't agree more. Because um, at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, which is safety, everybody coming home safe uh, to their families. And we all want our businesses uh, thriving and flourishing at the same time. And the two of them go hand in hand. So, yeah. all right. Well, Absolutely. thanks. To Thanks to Diane and to, to everyone for listening. And um, Chris and I enjoy bringing these podcasts to you. And a uh, reminder to our listeners, if there's a topic you want us to address, just shoot us an email. We'd be happy to take it on in a, in a future podcast episode. But like I tell my kids, I do have veto rights. But, you know, I think we could probably <laughs> make it work. So uh, with that, we will wrap it up, call another episode to a close, and we will see everyone next time. So Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks. This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation. Thank you.